Disrupting Japan, Episode 94. Disrupting Japan is sponsored by Wall and Case. If you've ever tried to hire staff in Japan, you know how crazy it can be. I mean, there are over 3,000 recruiting firms here, and they're all telling you pretty much the same thing. Well, the guys at Wall and Case are different. When you're coming into Japan, they'll sit down and work out a long term hiring strategy with you. Is it best to start with a country manager or perhaps a head of partner sales? Maybe the first step is really a community manager. Now, I've known the team at Wall and Case for a long time, and they've worked with a lot of the companies that have been on this show and with some of the world's biggest brands as well. So, if you're hiring in Japan, you really should talk to Wall and Case. Welcome to Disrupting Japan, straight talk from Japan's most successful entrepreneurs. I'm Tim Romero, and thanks for joining me. Napoleon supposedly once called England a nation of shopkeepers. And while the comment was undoubtedly meant as an insult in the context it was offered, there's something to be said in favor of being a nation of shopkeepers. Particularly in this age of e commerce, Rakuten, Amazon stores, and drop shipping. In fact, Japan, more so than the US, has a culture of tiny little neighborhood shops that have never been pushed out completely by big box stores, shopping malls, and chain stores, even in the big cities. Well, today, We're going to sit down and talk with someone who's accelerating that trend by making it easier for small shopkeepers to pop up all over Tokyo. Akiko Nishiura, CEO of Nokisaki, connects commercial landlords with just a little extra space to small merchants who are looking for, well, just a little space. Oh, And in their spare time, the company is also trying to solve Japan's horrible parking problems. The discussion of the company and the market alone would make this episode worth listening to. But Akiko also shares a story of something that would have forced almost any Western startup into bankruptcy. But due to the unique, and frankly, somewhat extreme, notion of Japanese customer loyalty, It resulted in only a minor interruption of Nokisaki's rapid growth. But you know, Akiko tells that story much better than I can. So let's hear from our sponsor and get right to the interview. Kotowork is doing something pretty cool. It's a community of Japanese language students who want to work at Japanese companies with global ambitions. Kotowork also trains them in business culture, Japanese hospitality, and a bit of global marketing. And since it's a real community, Kotowork is always there for both candidates and companies to solve cultural misunderstandings and the hundreds of other little problems that can come up when foreigners work for a Japanese company. Kotowork has a wonderful, long term, community based approach to making sure everything runs smoothly, and you should really check them out at Kotowork with a C dot JP. So I'm sitting here with Akiko Nishiura. The founder and CEO of Nokisaki. Yes. So thanks for sitting down with us. Thank you. Thank you, Tim. Now, Nokisaki is a parking space sharing and, and space sharing startup, but I think you can explain it much better than I can. So 
tell me a bit about what nokisake is. Okay. Tim, um, have you ever heard the word nokisake and do you know the exact meaning of nokisake? I have to admit, I didn't <laughs> know it until I looked it up. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> right, but nokisake means uh, a tiny space under the roof, like when you hide from a rain, for example, just a small space. And we do business using that space. We are doing some space sharing service, but we are dealing with, for example, some unused space or space which are not being dealt in a traditional real estate market. And we are offering a marketplace for landlord of such spaces and those who want to use such spaces. Okay, so spaces is a very general kind of term. So. Specifically, Nokisaki focuses on on parking on the one hand mm -hmm, and yes. on um, kind of pop-up stores right, on the other, stores. right? Yes. Tell me about your customers. So let's do parking first. Okay. So about how many spaces do you have in the system? About how many users every month? Uh, currently, we have 4,000 parking lots listed in our website. And the number of registered users is more than 130,000. I guess we should explain for our foreign listeners that parking in Japan or parking in Tokyo is really different than it is in the rest of the world. Before you buy a car in Tokyo, you have to prove that you have a place to park it. Exactly. Is it unique in Japan? I mean, worldwide? I've never heard of it no. in the U.S., e even in crowded places like New York or San Francisco. In Japan, that, that leads to this interesting situation where mm -hmm. there is, I mean, parking is hard to find in Tokyo, yes. but there's a lot of unused space here because mm -hmm. everyone has to buy parking. parking. In Japan, the most popular parking service is called coined-operated parking lot. Just parking meters, parking basically. Meter. Yes, parking meters. But the problem that the other drivers facing is that you don't know whether you can park your car until you get there. You don't know if it's vacant or not. Uh, you have to spend 30 minutes or an hour to find a vacant parking lot. Our service is solving such problems that the, the drivers are facing. You can book a parking lot before you arrive. So is the reservation for, for an entire day, or can you pull out a phone when you get there and say, okay, what parking is available now, right now? Um, you can book parking lot via our website, and you can use it per day. On the other side, the pop-up store side, mm -hmm. what kind of people are using Nokisaki uh -huh. to, to create pop-up stores? Our major users are business users. I mean, they are uh, selling goods or they are promoting some services. In the U.S., for example, pop-up stores are usually major brands taking advantage of a space that's going to be available mm -hmm. for only a few months mm -hmm. and using it as more of a marketing than a sales right. promotion. Mm -hmm. In Japan, is it the same? One of our users are such kind of major brands, but the most of our users are kind of individual merchants or small to mid-sized companies and they are for example selling vegetables or selling clothes or shoes or 
Okay, so it's not big brands using it. It's, it's individual right. merchants right. or individual people out mm -hmm. selling, farmers selling their own crops, mm -hmm. people selling their own handmade yeah. goods and things like exactly. that. Exactly. Looking on the website, mm -hmm. I noticed that there is space available inside some very large retail stores here. Yes. Um, Staya and Book Off. Uh, How does that work? Why are they leasing out yes, it's, little it's parts of their store? Very interesting because uh, such, for example, Staya or Jack Store chain, the customers visiting that stores are huge, like more than 1,000 customers coming in. So it's a very attractive space for those who want to showcase their products. So they list their unused space in our website. They can attract new customers. For example, one of our clients selling vegetables in the storefront of drugstore. So someone who see that they are selling vegetables on the street and they come in, remind that, oh, I have to, find, I have to buy a shampoo. Then they get in, in the shop, buy some products, they can earn some extra money through renting their unused space, but at the same time, they can attract new customers through our business, through our service. So in the example of, say, Sutaya, which mm -hmm. is a large video rental chain, yes. what kind of tenants are they using Nokisaki to attract? Um, food trucks, mainly. Food trucks? Yes. Because oh, okay. the main customers of tires are 20s or 30s, young people. So the food trucks will fit to the needs of those customers. That's really interesting. Yes. And that does make a lot of sense for building up traffic and building up almost kind of a sense of community. And yes, exactly. A place to hang out. Mm -hmm. So how did that that deal come about? Did you approach Staya with the idea that, hey, maybe we can get some new foot traffic in? And you, did you approach them with the idea of food trucks or did they come to you? How did that happen? We are doing many ways. We knock the door of those <laughs> major clients and we do presentation and convince them. But at the same time, they uh, receive some requests from those individual food truck owners but they usually reject those requests because it's really hard for them to deal with small retailers directly. Well, I also imagine, though, that mm -hmm. large retail chains mm -hmm. in any country mm -hmm. are very, very conscious and careful about their space. Not only internal shelf space, what goes where, but the areas in front of their stores. Mm -hmm. So how did you convince them to open it up like this? Well, for example, um, national chain store, the, the legal issues were so complicated, so well, it took more than one year to close a contract between us. But nowadays, it, it takes less and, and... Well, that makes sense. So it was the, the first one was the difficult sale, and after that you had a reference. Yes, yes, exactly. Now, I want to talk about the overall sharing economy mm -hmm. here in Japan a bit later. But before we do that, I want to ask you a bit about you. Yes, okay. You had a very successful career going at Sony. What made you decide to, to leave and start a sharing economy startup? <laughs> yeah, it was kind of very um, 
accidental. I retired from the company I used to work just to give birth to my child. I was 37 at that time, but I, I wanted to work, to continue working in some way. So I just had a plan to import some articles to the country of South America where I used to live and open up an online shop. So a lot of women in Japan tell me it's very difficult to go back to work after having children. Was that something you were planning on doing or something you decided you didn't want to go back to Sony after, after having kids? I just didn't want to go back to a, a big organization. Just wanted to spend more time with my child. But you were saying the, the first idea you had was, was importing... Yeah, some articles and doing some small business while raising my child at home. It was not a big deal, just I was... I just wanted to do something that I liked. But the products that I was going to import was not so popular in Japan. And so I just came up with an idea to make a kind of test marketing. So I started to find a place to, to open a short period. But no one was willing to with uh, a uh, shop for such a short period. I was just wanting to rent, for example, for a month or something. It's so common in Japan that uh, all the, the shops were basically rented for a long lease. Yeah, it, it's, yeah in Japan, it's, it's not only a long-term lease, but you have to put in seven months of deposits. Yes, and it's so expensive. So I noticed that it's so hard to have a real store while it's getting very easy to open an online shop. You know, uh, kind of an idea struck my head that I didn't have to have a kind of well-made store, but all I needed was a small space that I can display my products. There are so many unused spots available in, in everywhere. That was kind of a start the idea of so you decided that, that solving that problem was a better business than the yes, business you were exactly. doing. Yes, <laughs> exactly. And that was back in 2008? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So you started Nokisaki at first with your husband. Yes. Right? And that has to be difficult at times, running a company as husband and wife. Luckily, my husband was running a real estate company. So I um, asked him for advices. It was very big advantage for me to have my husband as a partner. For the first three years, we've been doing together. So was, it, was he just sort of helping you out part-time, or what, what happened after the company got to a certain size? Um, he just quit, and he returned to his arrested business. So is starting a company with your spouse something you would, would recommend? Yes, I would think so, because doing business alone is kind of, you need some partners. In my case, eventually it was my spouse, but it not be necessary to be, <laughs> it can be a, your friend or, you know, your ex-colleague. Or... So you just, you need someone. Yeah, you need someone you can, you can trust. That makes sense. Yeah. So he was, he was working on this part-time. 
mainly he was visiting landlords to convince them to, to rent out their spaces and list them on our website. Getting back to the parking lot side of the business, how have the existing parking lot operators responded to Nokisaki? Do they view you as competition? Do they want to be listed on it to get the business? We first started our Nokisaki parking business in 2012 and we were the first operator of this kind of business. Until a couple of years ago, we were alone in the market, so the conventional parking operators recognized us, but they didn't see us as a competitor. But currently, there are so many similar operators sharing parking lot service. In, in some part, they see us as a competitor, but they don't think their market can be replaced by the service like, like us in a short period. Let's talk a bit about the actual market here in Japan. Mm -hmm. So unlike a lot of big cities in the U.S., well, there are no big parking garages in central Tokyo. It's, it's, yeah. There's parking under hotels and some office buildings, mm -hmm. but it's mostly a lot of tiny little yes. um, five or six car yes. spaces like scattered all uh, over the city. Uh -huh. Are most of those tiny lots independently operated or are there companies that operate a couple hundred of these lots. 50% of such parking spaces are operated by one big parking operator. They have more than 50% of market share in, in Japan, but the other 50% of the market are operated by small parking lot operators. And it is very unique in Japan, I would say that parking is one of the most popular way of utilizing unused land and, and Japanese tax law forces you to do something with the land. Exactly. So if you have unused land, your taxes go yeah, up. You have to pay more. Right. So you have to put a building on it or yes. a parking lot or something. You have to build something. You have to build something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. So the parking lot owners, are they mostly these individual uh, parking lot owners or are they individual people who have like one spot they're renting out? like on their own? In terms of the number of accounts, 40% of our accounts are individual. The other 60% are parking operators. Okay, so it sounds like the platform's been embraced by the, the small parking lot operators. Mm -hmm. It's just Park24, the big operators that see you as competition. Yeah, yeah, we say So last year, you guys ran into a problem. You actually had to shut down the service for, for two months or so. Exactly. What caused that? At the end of July, we had a notice from some security service company that uh, there is a possibility that we are receiving some illegal attack to our web server. So we had to um, stop our service for detailed investigation. Was it a denial of service attack? Did someone steal account information? What kind of a... Well, actually, there were no concrete report of client data were stolen or, or something. But we have a report that there was a possibility that someone were looking into our server. Just, it was a possibility. 
Th that seems like a very extreme reaction to mm -hmm. to shut down the whole company for mm -hmm. two months when you're not completely sure what's happening. Mm -hmm. Why did you decide to do that? Because it was kind of demanding request from a, a credit card company. At that moment, we didn't have um, credit card information on, on our website, but we were offering a payment service through our service. So as far as there was an, an, an possibility that someone could um, steal some account information, we had to shut down until concrete investigation. So your, your payment processor effectively made you shut down? Yes, exactly. And, and what did the investigation conclude? The final investigation showed that there was vulnerability. We you know, had a patch to strengthen the, the security level. After doing such kind of implementation, we could restart our service and it took two, two months. What happened to your customers when you turned the switch and turned everything back on after two months? Yeah, it was it was very hard for us in in the first place. It was a summertime. I mean, it should have been a peak season for drivers to book parking lot. So August, September, that two months we didn't have any sales. But at the same time, all the property owners who expected to have a large income, they didn't receive anything. Oh, so we had to keep the relations with those landlords while our competitors are approaching. But finally, I would say 98% of our property owners stayed in, with our service. Wow, that's, that's pretty impressive. Yes, that was... That was I mean, if, if you only lose 2% of your supply when your service is down for two months, that's incredible. I, I think most marketplaces like this would be happy if they lost 2% of their customers in a normal month. I think that we could um, build a good relationship with our clients and we promise that we will come back after everything has been done, so they just wait. That's, uh, that's amazing. I think that's a, a testament to the level of service you provide mm -hmm. and also I think somewhat uniquely Japanese. Yeah, I would say so. But, but actually, our, our sales team has visited from Hokkaido to, to Kyushu some major clients. So your sales team is just visiting clients apologizing yes, because for two months there were nothing to do so <laughs> our sales team yes visited our, our major clients and and what about the other side of the marketplace the users were they waiting to come back online uh, or did you have to get them recruit more of them back at that time the number of registered users were about 100,000 and 300 clients wanted to leave but after we restarted, we just recovered the number of uh, customers within a day. Wow, so your growth just picked up right where it left off. Actually, yes. Was there a particular reason for that? Was it, so on the, on the supply side, you had your salesmen out talking and apologizing and you know, keeping everyone informed. Mm -hmm. Were you doing the same thing on the customer side as well? 
No, actually we didn't. We just apologized via emails and sending messages, but nothing more than that. Actually, uh, the main reason for that, I would say that the most of our users, they use our service for the first time. Many people who want to book parking space, and there's no other option. So they had to use our service when they want to book. But when this outage happened, there was competition. Yes. You know, they could have gone to one of the competing companies. Actually, yes. Mm. Well, I, I think it is amazing that you've managed to have that level of customer retention to an experience that would have ended most startups. Yes, yes. We just could survive. Looking at the, the business model as a, as a whole, mm -hmm. Tokyo seems to be the, the perfect place for both parking lot rentals and this kind of pop-up store because it is so crowded. Yeah. There are so many, there are no big spaces available, but there's thousands and thousands of tiny little spaces available everywhere. Mm -hmm. Do you think this model will work outside of Tokyo or in, in smaller cities? Yes, I think so. For example, Osaka, Nagoya, Fukuoka, and such bigger cities in, in, in Japan, yes. For example, in, in parking business, the people in the local cities use cars as a major transportation, while in Tokyo, people commute by subway or trains and they don't use cars daily on a daily basis. By the way, is that law that requires you to prove you have a parking space before you buy a car, is that just Tokyo or is that all of Japan? All of Japan, and I don't know why. <laughs> well, it makes sense in Tokyo. Yeah. <laughs> How big do you think the potential market for this is? The market size of the regular parking business in Japan is estimated as 3 billion US dollars. Some part of the regular parking business will be replaced by sharing parking. Maybe up to 20%, 30%. But what about, what about the pop-up shop, the space sharing? Because that's, that's new. It's, yeah, it's that's hard to new. estimate. Yeah, it's, it's hard to estimate, but I would say that the market size of pop-up is much bigger than parking sharing service because you know the regular retail market is kind of slowing down, not only in Japan but also maybe in, in the US, the big retail markets closing their, their stores. But the demands for, for pop-up stores is, is increasing. I think the US and Japan have very different kind of retail cultures mm. around this. So uh, America definitely has kind of this mall yeah. culture to it. Mm. But Japan doesn't really have a mall culture. It's, it's more of uh, little shopping streets mm. and almost like a bazaar culture where people are used to having lots of tiny little shops all crowded together. Mm. So it seems like this idea of a pop-up shop in the Japanese term, mm -hmm. meaning which is like a small individual selling vegetables or clothes or handicrafts, mm -hmm. it seems to fit the shopping culture of uh -huh. Japan better than it mm -hmm. would, say, the U.S. Mm -hmm. I would say so, yes. As we talked at the beginning, it's so hard to, to rent a shop for a long term. You have to spend so much money and you have to pay deposit and key money and then 
if you choose pop-up shops, you, you don't have to pay such money. You can have your own shop for very low cost. It's kind of the physical equivalent of having a web store. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. So since your first funding round back in 2011, mm -hmm. you guys have grown, it was a small round and you guys grew pretty much organically mm -hmm. and through word of mouth and, and social media. Yeah. And last year you raised a $2.2 million round. So you're obviously planning on accelerating things. Yeah. So what's changing? Well, the environment surrounded us has been changed so much, especially in parking share service. There are so many competitors around us. What is remarkable is that the major company like Rigroot or Rakuten also join in, in the market. You guys were first to the market. Yep. You're still the largest individual player in the market. Yeah, I would say so. What are you doing to stay ahead of the much better funded companies coming out of Rakuten and Recruit? Of course, they have resource, they have people, they have stuff in, they have money. But I, I think that the key in this business will be how to get the heart of landlords. That's a really good point. A lot of startup founders and aspiring startup founders think too much about the technology and the business model, mm -hmm. where what you're saying is your real advantage is how close you are to your customers. Mm -hmm. And I guess that's really proven by the fact that so many of them stuck by you even when you had to shut down for two yeah. months. Recruit or Rakuten coming into the market mm -hmm. doesn't have that closeness, doesn't have that trust, even though they have a, <laughs> a whole lot more money. <laughs> <laughs> right. Every day we talk to landlords. Some of them do not have smartphones, they don't have PC, so we have to phone call them or we have to send text. So, yes, our services are web services, but at the same time, our clients are real. They exist as a real, you know. And I think when a company like Rakuten or Recruit, mm -hmm encounters that reality, mm -hmm. they would respond with a certain amount of frustration that these people are not using modern technology. It's not even that modern anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's 20-year-old technology. Yeah. Whereas you're using that as almost a competitive advantage. Mm -hmm. Yes. Let's talk a bit about Japan in general. Mm -hmm. Now, the sharing economy has had mixed results in Japan. Yes, mixed. Uber has had a horrible time here in Japan. Airbnb is doing better, but it's still kind of rough for them. Mm -hmm. What do you think is going to be the future of sharing economy in Japan? It's so obvious that the number of population is, is decreasing in Japan, and we have to use the limited asset with less budget. So there's no way that we can survive without introducing the sharing economy. In in future, the word sharing economy will be disappear. The people will will be using sharing economy platform unconsciousness with 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 with, with you know. So it will just seem natural. With naturally, yes. Well, I I think Nokisaki is sort of a, a small step towards sharing economy because. Most of your users are B2B. Only a minority of your parking lot supply is individuals renting out. Mm -hmm. So it's not really sharing, it's just mm -hmm. better utilization. Yes. But what do you think 
what is the attitude of just kind of the average people towards the sharing economy from a person-to-person level? It's not so popular right now. The cultural difference, especially real estate, we Japanese have so much attachment to your own property and they don't want to rent your space for uncredited tenants. Right, right, right. The unknown. Unknown. But the thing is, I've, I've come to believe less and less in the cultural differences mm-hmm. idea. And the reason is, I, I was in Japan back in the 90s when all the department stores were saying, no, no, Japanese will never buy online. It just won't happen. It's against Japanese culture. They want to hold things in their hands. And no, Japanese are perfectly happy to buy online. Yeah. And the department stores are in big trouble. Mm-hmm. I remember when Yahoo Auctions first started up, mm-hmm. everyone was saying, no, no, Japanese are never going to buy used goods online. It just, it's against the culture. Everyone wants to buy new goods. Mm-hmm. No, it was a fan, it's huge success. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's massive. And I hear a lot of people today saying exactly the same thing, mm-hmm. saying, no, 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 Japanese will never share individual mm-hmm. goods. It's too much of like an invasion of, of their, their privacy. So I've kind of come to doubt those, mm-hmm. those statements those over the years. But from your experience, that's what most people are still saying. They, they, they think they'll be hesitant. Especially the property owners, yes. Uh-huh. Well, listen, before we wrap up, mm-hmm. I want to ask you what I call my magic wand question. And that is, if I gave you a magic wand and I said you could change one thing about Japan, anything at all, the education system, the way people think about risk, the legal system, anything at all to make it better for startups here in Japan, what would you change? I would say education. How would you change it? Um, in my case, I didn't have an idea that there is an occupation called entrepreneur. Until I was 35 or 36, I, I knew that there are, but I actually didn't know how to start my own business. For example, in, in primary schools, maybe teachers will introduce that there are many occupations, for example, grocery shop or doctors or but entrepreneurs will not be in, in, in the program. Maybe my, my, my son knows that there exists an entrepreneur in Japan, but other kids don't know. It just never occurs to them. And in fact, the way it's presented mm-hmm. is the entrepreneurs like Morita or Song or Mikitani, mm-hmm. the gap just seems too huge. <laughs> <laughs> Students cannot imagine themselves being like that. Yeah. Do you think it's changing now? Do you think younger people are more aware that being an entrepreneur and starting a company is a possibility? Yeah, definitely, because there is internet available and they have smartphones and they can do everything, you know. They are very lucky that they have all those tools. So do you think that young people are learning about entrepreneurship from the schools or on their own through the internet or movies like Social Network? (laughs) How are they finding out about it? In many ways, I think what is important is they have a chance to know that that there are possibilities they can do their own startup. 
Do you think that we'll see a day soon when in elementary school students are, are taught where well, you could be a policeman or a teacher <laughs> or a doctor or an entrepreneur? Yeah, that would be good. I think that would be great. Yeah, that would be great. And I don't know, the way things are going, we might actually see that in a couple of years. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, listen, Akiko, thank you so much no, for sitting down. thank you too. Thank you too. It was so interesting talking to you. Your journey to success in Japan will involve some twists and turns. In trying to navigate new terrain, planning the safest, most effective way through on your own can be overwhelming. The Carter Group have been using market intelligence and research to guide Japan entrants for decades. They've honed an agile, cost-effective, but consultative approach that will help you find the perfect product market fit, explore user and consumer dynamics, and act as an honest broker to let you know the reputation and track record of potential partners here in Japan. And when you're ready to go, their executive search team can also help you hire the right people to drive your business forward. So if you haven't got Japan completely figured out yet, the Carter Group can help you out. And we're back. Nokisaki's pop-up and parking business are doing great in Tokyo. And it's going to be interesting to see how it does in less crowded markets. In Tokyo, retail space is incredibly expensive and in high demand. So there's a huge economic pressure to make sure that any unused spaces get used. As Nokisaki moves into smaller markets, that pressure will weaken. But on the other hand, renting commercial space is still a time-consuming and expensive endeavor for most small or micro-businesses. And Nokisaki makes the whole process simple. So perhaps that will be enough to drive adoption in less crowded markets. Also, despite the recent influx of very well-funded competition into the parking and pop-up spaces, Nokisaki remains the market leader in Japan. And that really seems to be the result of high demands for customer service in Japan and the extreme nature of customer loyalty here. And in fact, those two things are very closely related. They are both tied to the strength of the relationship. And the need to build that relationship is one of the big reasons that sales cycles are so long in Japan. However, it's very real, and I experienced it firsthand at one of my earlier startups. I was running an e-commerce company back in 2001 as the internet bubble was bursting around us. We had plenty of cash on hand, but it was not a good time to be an e-commerce startup. The reaction from our Japanese and Western clients could not have been more stark. My foreign clients, mostly Japanese firms run by foreigners, began canceling contracts. Even short-term contracts where I offered to open my books to show them that we were solvent. By and large, they told me that it just wasn't worth the risk and they'd be switching vendors. My Japanese customers, on the other hand, particularly the very large ones, reacted quite differently. I went to them and I explained, look, times are hard. We could really use some additional work right now. And they gave it to us. Now, I grant you, those companies got some pretty amazing deals on the work that we did for them. But while the immediate reaction of Western companies to a struggling vendor is to cut ties as quickly as possible, 
The reaction by the Japanese clients was to see how they could help us weather the storm. Now, from an ecosystem perspective, I can't say whether one method produces better results than the other, but it's a difference, and it will produce different results. And I think that in developing a startup ecosystem, all nations need to leverage their own national and cultural strengths to create both an ecosystem and innovative startups that are genuinely unique. If you've got a story about the sharing economy, Akiko and I would love to hear from you. So come by disruptingjapan.com show094 and tell us about it. And when you come to the site, you'll see all the links and notes that Akiko and I talked about and much, much more in the resources section of the post. Oh, and before we go, I want to tell you a bit about our sponsors. No, no, don't worry. We're done with the ads for today. But our sponsors enable me to introduce you to all these amazing founders. But more than that, they really do contribute to the community here. And yes, I really have turned down a couple that I didn't feel were a good fit for one reason or another. So hey, check them out, drop by their sites, and let them know you heard about them on Disrupting Japan. But most of all, thanks for listening. And thank you for letting people interested in Japanese innovation know about the show. I'm Tim Romero, and thanks for listening to Disrupting Japan.